Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. I cannot tell you guys how excited I am about today's episode. If you have a drip of Italian blood in your veins, you are going to love today's amazing guest. We are going to be talking with award-winning Italian-American cookbook author, host of the popular Cooking with Nona series, which is at cookingwithnona.com, a member of the Italian-American Power Hour podcast. She is the winner of the Food Network's 24-hour restaurant battle Italiano. She's an actress. And most importantly to you, me, and anyone else who loves all things Italian, she is a fellow paisan. Rosella Raga, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's so cool to see you in person after following you on social. Thank you for having me. And thank you for like being nice that uh, the the last time like didn't work out. You know, I get it. Please. Uh, Girl, do, do are, are you good is my concern. Are we good? Fantastic. Okay, good. I know. Listen, I, 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 I am fully understanding of any situation that makes us need to just take a pause. And you're always on with working. So if you need a minute, we got your back. Um, your backstory is so fun. And, and I guess if anyone follows you on social, you'll see your focus is food, but there's so much more to what you put out there. And there's so much love and passion behind the content that you put out. And being a fellow Italian-American, I was so drawn to your backstory. Your parents were born in Puglia. Your nonna, which is your co-host on a lot of shows. I mean, just watching your relationship and you guys cooking together adds that just extra element of just like warmth and amazingness. So I guess family is everything to you. It sort of goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, family is my life, whether I want it to be or not. I don't really have a choice in that. <laughs> They're just, <laughs> just here. Um, yeah, I, I'm a first generation Italian American. You know, my my parents are both immigrants from the same village in Puglia. Uh, we come from a, a fishing village called Mola di Bari, and they immigrated to Brooklyn, uh, my father in 1969, and then my mother in like 1978, I want to say. And I'm still in Brooklyn, which is why you probably hear honking outside. I can't do anything about that. Um, <laughs> okay. We're in the wild here. And, um, you know, uh, my family kind of raised my brother and I in this microcosm of Mola di Bari in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. You know, for the longest time when I was little, I didn't know I was in America because I, I, Italian was my first language. We spoke it at home. I didn't speak English. I didn't learn English until I was five, actually. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Wait, now at school or did you like a lot of immigrants and immigrants' children learn it like watching TV? I, I guess by the time I went to like Montessori school, I knew I no Montessori school. I knew nothing. Absolutely nothing. I learned whatever I knew very little words that my brother would come home because he's four years older than me. So he would come home and teach me, you know, curse words. And <laughs> it's like always the first that's those are the first Italian words that I learned. Uh, it's the opposite, like all the swear words. So there you yeah. go. That's how you I learn a language. I learned how to give people the finger. I gave my Montessori school teacher the finger. Uh, that was a great <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but, and then in kindergarten, I I was like, you know, barely talking, you know? So, and uh, yeah, and TV did teach me a lot. I mean, I grew up with um, learning about like American families through like Full House and Family Matters and Saved by the Bell. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, wait, we, we have to talk about this because there is a very specific Italian family stereotype. And I guess when you say something like full house, there's also like an American family stereotype. Like where do those overlap and not? Because uh, similarly to you, I mean, my grandparents were immigrants. So I had a little more buffer of American um, culture in me and they actually did not want to teach us Italian because they're like, you're American now and we don't want to, which is a separate story. But what I found is that when you have that strong cultural tie, you almost identify with that more than like I watched Full House and I was like, these people are like, I'm not anything like these people. So like, where does it overlap and where did it not being raised like truly from Italian parents? You know, like, so my whole life, I kind of always have felt that I was a little too Italian for Americans and a little too American for Italians. So, and, and most of my closest friends are first generation Italian Americans like myself, because we just grow up in a very different way. And we all, all we almost have to grow up faster than a lot of other kids because, 
you know, with the language barrier, especially you grow up like reading your parents' mail, making appointments for them. Um, you know, so it was very funny for me to see like these kids on these shows that were like shuttles everywhere to dance. Like now, you know, American, it, that's very normal for us that it's like kids do a million activities and uh, they get like taken to swim class or whatever. But when, when I was little, it was like, oh, you want to go? Uh, I, I got to pay for you to do dance. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> this- we didn't do American thing. We didn't have camp. Oh, my God. Summer camp. We didn't get we didn't do summer camp. Summer camp was going back to Italy to Akambanya and learning how to catch lizards. And oh, my God. That sounds so much better for the record than actual summer camp here. We didn't we didn't do these things. We didn't get to do a lot of this stuff. So and it was always interesting to see like a show like uh, Full House where like the kids would get in trouble and they would get grounded. We didn't get grounded. I mean, we got smacked we, with a wooden spoon, smacked up, but we didn't. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like grant. One time I actually told my parents, I was like, I want to be grounded. How come you don't ground me like Danny Tanner, Vito? <laughs> well, he's That's like, amazing. You want to be grounded? What's a ground? And I was like, you make me stay in my room. <laughs> and that's it. And you don't hit me. And you don't scream at me. Like, what the hell you want from me? Stay in your room. I don't care. Oh, my God. It's hysterical. I was watching the um, video that you just posted. I don't know. I guess it was earlier this week with your mom and going through the booster book and like, how she's telling you like how much money for the weddings and blah, blah, blah. And there was one point where you go, stop yelling at me. And she goes, I'm not yelling. Like the story of every, I feel like Italian American's life. My husband came into my family and he's like, why are you always so angry? I was like, we're not angry. It's just how we talk. And some of these stereotypes are true. We're just like passionate about every little goddamn thing. (laughs) Even things that do not require passion or or a loud volume. Just was it was it really? I, I know you you did walk that line. You just talked about sort of feeling not American enough for Americans and not Italian enough for Italians. Did you like? How did you find your way then? And what did your family say too? Because um, I think people are going in the opposite direction these days where parents are wanting now to connect their children more with their roots and their culture and their background. And, and how did they navigate that as parents? Like, were, was it, no, you're, you are Italian. We're going to raise you here. I don't care what your American friends are doing. They're going to summer camps, blah, blah, blah. Or did they kind of let you blend both together? I think like they wanted us to blend, but they also didn't, didn't care too much at the same time. Like they, you know, if we came home and felt a certain kind of way or felt like we didn't fit in, they, they were, they would um, try and make us blend in, you know, when I would say like, oh, but all the American girls wear this stuff. Cause I wore like weird crap with Italian sayings all over. <laughs> like what? Give me an example. And it's funny. Cause now I like sell that stuff, <laughs> but like yeah. I, would, I would wear like, I, I never had jeans when I was a little kid. I had like 18 different color leggings and stuff, <laughs> but I never had like Levi's jeans, like American jeans. Um, I had like, my mom would buy my clothes from this, this store in like the Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, ironically, because they had European stuff, right. they had imported Italian stuff and she wanted beautiful imported things. And I wanted, you know, to look like Michelle Tanner. I didn't oh want I didn't want to dress like you know frou frou like World War II, you know. <laughs> so wait, what did the clothes look like that she was dressing you in? A lot of frills, a lot of ruffles. <gasps> and my mother's an actress and a and a writer and stuff, so she she's very into drama and she's very into like um baroque. You know, she would have been great in like the court at Versailles. <laughs> love that. If she she could have put like a corset and a wig and a hoop skirt on every day. She loved it, my mother. My mother has like, a thin gown collection. So anytime we went anywhere, it was like always like a velvet dress. My brother had these, we had the socks. All the Italian kids had these socks, these knee socks with like, they were like crocheted and they had little holes all over them. It looked like there were like little holes all over them. They were like lace. But then what would happen was like you would take them off at the end of the day and they were like tight. So then there were like these little holes all over your legs. Oh my God. Them, um, we had these shoes that they would call them Aki di Bue because it looked like, it's a weird translation. It's like the the T-strap and the mm-hmm. two like, holes on it. 
Um, you know, like we we were dressed like it was World War II. My brother always was a very was a much prettier little girl than I was. Oh my god! Lenny, so Lenny was the pretty one when we were kids, and I um so like the dynamic here was like that she, he he came first and she really wanted a girl so she would dress him very girly oh he got girly collars and he was also gorgeous like he was blonde my brother you know he's got like he had like your hair color but he had um he, she gave him like this bowl mushroom haircut so he looked very pretty and frilly and ruffly so they all thought that he was a girl oh my God. Him along and I was like swarthy, but like I'm <laughs> bald because my hair wouldn't grow. So at the Italian prescription to a kid whose hair doesn't grow is to shave it. Oh my God. Wait, as a kid, you had a bald head? I'm dying over here. But at six months, thank God I had earrings. Oh you know? God. It's just another thing. Everybody gets their ears pierced within the first six months. All the girls. Yeah. Yeah. And, but thank God, because I would, I had like identity crises <laughs> At a very young, because like at, at one, they just shaved my head entirely. Bald. Did it work? Did your hair grow back? Um. So my best friend is a hairdresser and she's like, it does not actually work. There is no science to support this. All it's going right. to do is traumatize your kid. Don't do it. And people still come to her and ask her to do it. So for me, they did it at one and then they were like, oh shit, it's like not really working. So <laughs> what did they do? They did it again. So I have like little girl, like pretty hair until like my first communion. Oh my God. Which is a whole other thing when you're Italian American, like this, the outfit that my mother put me in, I, I, we were at the tailors. Her name was Silvana. We were at Silvana's every other week. She's like, we got to lift this hem. We got to add the lace. We got to get the diagonal cut. I was like, it was like my wedding. I was like, I, I look back now and I'm like, that feels excessive, but it was just, very typical. Like for everyone that was raised how we were raised, it was like you said, it was an attention to details. Like my girl's going to look like this. It was the hairspray. It was a little bit of blush. It was like, the, and now I have a daughter who's ready to make her communion in like a month. And I'm like, oh shit, I haven't even ordered a dress for her. I've like fully oh, fallen from the flock. That's a big, today it's like way different. I feel like it was more extra then, but now it's more extra. I can't decide which era of the communion is is extra because like I had nieces at one point and like they were getting like Queen Helene or there's oh yeah Queen Helene it's like the Panina Tournay of communion (laughs) and it's like two thousand dollars for a communion dress now and when I was growing up again we went I remember when I was growing up my family didn't have a lot of money so my mom schlepped me to the to the Jews in Borough Park, and they ha- sold communion dresses, ironically, and they were very beautiful. They were very expensive. So I remember not being able to get an expensive communion dress from the from the from from Borough Park, and my nonna ended up making my communion dress for me, and it and I got to design it because that's actually what I wanted to do when I was little, and it looked like you know a Barbie wedding gown. Like, oh my God. I love it. She actually let you come up with the design. I had poofy sleeve. I had, yes! Yes. I had, I, you know, it was, you know, it was a time we're talking about like, uh, you know, I was born in 87. So seven years after that, it, it was like, you know, we're, we're on the heels of princess Diana. Mm-hmm. I had poofy sleeves. I had the points at the, at the sleeve. Oh yeah. I had the gloves. I didn't get, I had the, I wanted the point like a princess. Yeah. I wanted, what is that thing called? The point in the, at the waist, like a bias. A uh, bias cut? I don't know. No, but I feel like bias was like the diagonal cut. I can't, no, I don't know any of this. A point at your waist, at your hips. Yeah. Point. I had the poof in the skirt. I had all the, all the, she made me a little pocketbook. <laughs> it's like a little, it was like a little Nona showing up. Like there was no, there was no like middle ground of like, and I joke like that. I mean, I, again, I wasn't even as close to that, like first generation stuff, but old habits die hard. But even like, I don't know. I just, everyone did things a little different, except the group of all the Italian girls that I grew up with. We all were like, it's like the same like level of torture from, from the dress to the, to the hair, to the, you have to look a certain way to all of, I mean, it's just dying laughing. Cause it's so real. Oh, and I was the one who would show up at lunch, all my friends had peanut butter and jelly, and I'd have thick bread from the bakery that my papa worked at, like for generations. They're like, you're gonna have Mancini's bread, we got a little mayo, we got a little fresh prosciutto, prosciutto for you. I'm like, mom, this is embarrassing. Like, pack me some smuckers. She's no, like, lunch never. Was a whole other trauma. 
like, oh what, I, what can I even say? I mean, like, first of all, we didn't have lunch boxes because those were a waste of money. Like, you don't get a lunch box. Like, the what other did you brown bag it or a plastic bit? Like, you know, we have, you know, we have a, a, a drawer full of bags. Oh my god! To this day, do you no, still? What? Oh yeah, I can't. I can't. Do you reuse your bags? I, I, I listen. I try to limit. I am very aware of the mental illness that I that that is hereditary. So I very much try to, you know, keep it at a level. Mm-hmm. You know, when the like my the difference between what's the difference between a generation? You know, so Nonna's generation when Nonna went to Italy for six months, once we cleaned out her basement apartment and we found eleven Century Twenty One shopping bags, the old <laughs> with plastic candle. And do you know what was inside them? More bags. More bags. <laughs> so we threw them all out. We let her keep one. She was furious, uh. right? So that, like, that's, you know, known as generation. Then we go to my mother. My mother is not as bad. She's not 11th century 21 shopping bags bad. But she is bad where, like, the drawer is literally bursting open. <laughs> And she still has to keep shoving, shoving them in there. And she is attached to every bag. There's like, Nona was a little more discerning. She's like, this is a good bag. This is like a five points, you know, it's got oh a my hit. God. She inspects, my mother will keep any bag. Like the bag from the Wonder Bread. That's what I would bring to school. <laughs> That's what I got to put my lunch in. Cause it's still, it's still good. Right. Oh and God. lunches were like, you had Nutella sandwich. Which was, you know, you had a- Back then that was exotic. Like no one had Nutella back then. Nobody had that, but like they would make fun of you. Like I went to, and I went to a very Italian American school and they still kind of like, you know, some of the kids who didn't understand still mocked me. Mm -hmm. And then we had a tuna fish day. And when it was tuna fish day, that meant your entire lunch was just going to be covered in tuna oil. And it smells bad when you open it up. The bag was wet, was always wet. You know, it was just like everything in that bit, anything for lunch was going to be tuna flavored, no matter what it was. was Tuna flavored apple. Then we had chicken cutlet day, which I really did like, except my mother would try to be like American sometimes. So we had the leftover chicken cutlet and she would smear um, mayonnaise on Wonder Bread and then put iceberg lettuce and then the cutlet and then another thing of Wonder Bread. So the, what would happen, then she would saran wrap it so much <laughs> that the, the Wonder Bread became another layer of the cutlet. <laughs> it would just like- It was like a panini, like it, a plastic panini. No, it would mold, oh, it would mold to it. the cutlet. So it would just, you would unwrap it and it, was, it wasn't a sandwich. It was like, there was another layer of breading. Oh, wait, wait, how did she hop on the Wonder Bread train? Like, I didn't eat sliced bread until I was probably in high school. And it was only because I was like, I finally tried peanut butter and jelly in high school. I'm like, I got to know what this is all about. But because I brought it in, like, how did she uh, relent on like that kind of stuff? She would like, you know, it was a give and take. We would negotiate, you know, it's like the SpaghettiOs were always a no. That was never going to happen. You know, we were the last family to have cable. We were the last family with a Costco membership. My best friend was was, uh, Italian-American like me from the same village but her dad had been in America longer, so he was a little bit more American, and he, like, let them do all the, the Metagon things. Like, they went to Disney every year, you know. Uh, we went one time, and then my dad was trying to pass off, like, this little Six Flags amusement party. He's like, this is Disney World. What are you talking about? You know, and we would try and be like, Disney's in Florida. And he's like, dream. You know. They got a Costco membership, and then that that was it. Then we were spending every weekend there. Um, they had a microwave. We didn't have a micro. We still don't have a microwave. But I, I feel like that's actually a good decision health-wise. Yes, but, like, when you're a kid and all you are dreaming about is the kids' cuisine microwavable dinner. Oh, like, yeah. Remember the shitty brownie? Oh, I- yeah. Oh, my God, yes. For that We shit. were not allowed to buy them. I'd be like, Mom, I would see the commercials. I mean, I was, I'm older than you. I was born in 81, but still I'd be like, mom, there's this thing called kids cuisine or, um, what was the, I can't remember the name of the other one, but like, she would literally buy them like once every six months. And my sister and I would have to make them during like watching TV time on our own before dinner, if we wanted to eat them. Cause there was just no way, it just never made its way into like the regular family. 
even like things like for Thanksgiving, like Italian thing, the way Italian Americans, first generation Italian Americans do Thanksgiving is totally insane. Like how, what are they doing instead of the turkey and the fixings? Well, you have to have like basically a Sunday dinner before the turkey. You know? so and my father hates turkey. So purposely, and if he's the kind of like, if he doesn't like it, nobody's allowed to like it. Oh my God. Wait, so let me ask you this. Is it a patriarchy or a matriarchy in your family, like with your parents? Definitely a matriarchy. But that mm. goes back to, you know, if you if we if I I always say like to know who you are, you have to know where you came from. So um when I look back at like the synchronicity of the way my life has worked out, it makes complete sense because I come from a legacy of boss babe bitches if you look at it we we are not lucky in love the the women of my of my whole uh thing because my great-grandmother regina i'm rosella regina so i was named after her my name was supposed to be pasqua though oh i I was so old school but i kind of like it what's old is new boo i mean if it it would so bad (laughs) your face right now it's not that bad pasqua 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 (laughs) okay it's actually not great. It's not great if you're living in America. You're right. It's it's not sexy. Uh, well, it would have been Pasquatina or Pasqualina and then Lena, you know, but whatever. Okay. Oh, but, so my great-grandmother, Regina, was widowed very early in her life with seven children. Wow. And, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the 40s in Southern Italy, you know, your options mm-hmm. are not wonderful. Um, but she really never let that stop her. She started, she became one of the first women in uh, Maladi body to have, uh, to have uh, vines like grape vines to sell grapes. Uh, she had, she had like, she was one of the only women that like had the balls to like take a horse and buggy mm. by herself. Places. Wow. It was like a very, not the greatest thing to, not the easiest thing to do. And then she started after my great grandfather died, she started a Bottega. Um, call, which was a like a little general store on the main street in Moladibadi. And uh, my, my nonna, who's the oldest of those of those seven children, dropped out of school in third grade. But in Italy at that time, you only really had to go to third. You only had to go to fifth grade. Mm-hmm. You know? if, you got, if you went to fifth grade, anything above fifth grade was higher education. Mm-hmm. She left in third grade and she became like the cook for her siblings. And my, and then my aunt Rosa, who's the second oldest became the cleaner, you know, the, you know, so my nonna would cook, Rosa would clean and help, help manage all these other children and like, and then work in the Bottega whenever they could all the rest of the girls. Cause there were four girls and three boys. The boys are all a disaster. Oh, wait, what do you mean? Okay. We have to talk about the stereotype of the Amer or the Italian man too, because I feel like, but anyway, we'll get to that. But it makes sense because my image of the Italian man, uh, uh, judging by the men in my family, like uh, they they ain't shit. Like they didn't do anything. <laughs> I, do they really get spoiled? I have a really great friend from Italy and we laugh about this all the time. She's like, you don't, my mom was like, find a nice Italian guy. Like we're all, if I, I said, mom, there is no one. And we're like a couple generations into, I said, there's nothing left out there, boo. Like we have tapped it. I had to go to a Hungarian man to get like, but not to say anything bad, but like everything I hear, and this is only coming from people who have experience with men in Italy. They say it's the tie to the apron strings. It's the, everything is done for them. Is that true? So do I, is it true for everyone? Listen, my brother's an Italian man an Italian American man, but he's basically a Jew. Like, I I mean, my brother is not, you know, he and I could not be more different in this. I miss Italy. I did the beauty pageants and I was all in the community. He wanted nothing to do with it. My brother is a husband first. uh, (gasps) A loyal King. We love it to his wife. He moved to Canada. What? Not, that feels sacrilege, Rosella. Not close Canada, very far Canada. He, oh my God. He, there is no more Canada left. Staten <laughs> <laughs> Island of Canada. He went to Vancouver Island. Vancouver. Uh, literally the farthest west. That's it. Oh my God. That's, that's it. For so a woman weird. who he treats like a queen and he like totally. It's great. Yeah. But my, and my mother was never the, the overbearing, 
you know, Italian mama like that either. I think because she was such like a, she had so many other interests too that mm. like her interests weren't, didn't live and die with her children. Right. That's so smart. Yeah. That's really good. I I wonder why that stereotype persists though. Literally every time I talk to someone and they're like, oh, they're you don't, you don't get it. No, they're out there. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're out, of, out of a group. Let's, let's put it this way. Out of a group of 10 Italian men, how many of those men are the type of guy you want to bring home? Like good partner, stable job, not going to run to his mom. I mean, like, listen, I, I want my son to call me. I, I feel like such a hypocrite because I have a son and it's my worst nightmare if he wouldn't call me every day to check in. But I like can't put that into the universe because then I feel like I'm going to get bad karma back. But like of those 10 Italian men, how many are like the kind of guy you, you actually want? Oh, God. Like two? That I want, I'm a weirdo. I, I, that I want, probably none of them. I, I don't, um, yeah, I, I think it's all men though. I don't think it's fair to say Italian men. I think right. we're in a generation of, of that rejects traditional masculinity, that rejects like the masculine man. Like if you- Which I hate. Scroll through TikTok and Instagram and everything is about is content about how to be a how to meet a high value masculine provider man because we expect 150% more from women today than we did 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, where's the where's the standard for the upping of the standards for men? Is that what you're saying? But then it's like, but it became because all these girls went to went to college, they got very educated. We all became boss babes. It's great. And then men feel like they don't have to do anything. Okay, wait, pause. I have to get your thoughts on this. So where where do you stand? Because I for one, I, I think there's some truth to the necessity for that like sort of polarity. Like I, I like the masculine energy. I want someone who's going to bring something to the table, but like, are you telling me it's just not out there anymore or like men are different these days, like regardless of their background? I think, um, I think men are different, but I think it's might be an unpopular opinion. I think women made them that way. We made it too easy. Please let's talk more. We, we, you know what? It might be true. I mean, we're out there working, we're out there trying to provide for our families. And listen, I went through a big, big journey with this too. So I understand what it's like to be working full time, to be chasing a passion, but also to have a partner and realize it was a real big revelation that I could not do it all or have it all. And I felt shame for that. Like same thing. Like I was the first one to go to college in my family. They were like, if you don't go to college, this is what you do. Your grandfather quit in sixth grade. You know, this is what you do. You get an education. So I did what I was told to do. And then I realized, oh my God, I can't take care of anything at home. Because I'm out there, it was just a real wake up call for me to like try to figure out that balance. Because I do feel like so much is put on women these days. It's a, it's, a, it's the biggest one of the biggest lies that we've told women um, in the 21st century is that they can have it all. You can't have it all. You can maybe you can definitely not all at once. Nope. Um, and I and I don't think we should be pushed to because like women, women if they want to be feminine women, we, I a woman is at her best when she feels fully supported, you know? Um, and that's where like, all that mothering energy come, can come from. And it's like, and it's when you're a stressed out boss, babe, it's hard to be a feminine wife. And you know, there's all kinds of stuff why people would hate what I just said anyway. Like, oh, feminine, what? yeah. Okay. Like if you want a traditional, if you believe in traditional gender role and traditional uh, marriages and stuff, you gotta, you have to, be a boss babe at work. And then you got to turn it off. I know it's so hard. It really is. It's like, you got to, you're, I, I, listen, I, I'm completely in understanding what you're saying. And I really, as I'm raising daughters and kind of struggling to define for them how they should proceed. Yes, of course they need an education and they do need to have the ability to provide for themselves without the help of a man or a partner. But I, I agree with you. I feel like we've gotten to a spot where, um, it becomes, if that's what you want is a traditional relationship where there's two people and one does family things and one does providing things, you, you, you kind of have to, you got to talk about this stuff beforehand is I guess what I'm trying to say. Like you can't do it all. And I wish someone would have told me that I really do before I had kids, because I had to unlearn a lot of like nose to the grindstone work habits because I thought that that's what I had to do forever. I think like, you know, I think we, we, we don't teach women about receiving anymore. Like we, we, we teach them, you have to have everything, your own, everything, 
you know, mm-hmm. don't take nothing from nobody. You don't need no man. You don't need nobody to give you anything. And why do we do that? What isn't it night? And now, and now we went so far that it's like, guys don't want to take you out to dinner anymore. Great. Is it like, is it that, but are you currently partnered up or are you on the mark in the market on the market? Recently, uh, recently divorced. So I have an interesting point of view on all of this. I'm not like thoroughly comfortable talking. I'm not really ready to talk about all of it, but I, yeah, I, I date now and it's, um, it's definitely interesting. You know, it's interesting to see what, uh, what people, you know, cause the last time I dated was eight years ago. Yeah. It's changed. I have friends that are single who are saying the same thing. It's just, it's just a little, it's different. Like the product is different. But I don't blame men necessarily. Men are conditioned to take the easiest path, the the path of least resistance. And we, we made it that way. It's women like saying, okay, you don't have to do that. It's women lowering their standards. What does your mom say? What's the Italian mom advice for this? I want to (laughs) know. My, my mom, you know, I, 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 I'm glad that I do have kind of a more modern kind of mom. Um, but she, she just, you know, tells me to, to be happy and not settle, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think every woman should, should not settle. You know, it's a, uh, you know, you don't, you don't lower your standards and if you, and you can't change a man. So like, instead of, if a man doesn't change, you change the man. You know, you can't change anyone. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, women deserve like to be treated softly and, you know, because women to me, women are still women and like feminine women deserve to be treated softly and nicely and and, you know, not not so it it feels so transactional now. Yeah. Society. Yeah. I've taken a swipe or two through some of her my sister's like or people that I know is like profiles and I'm like, hmm. They're on there. They're holding large fishes. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't do that. That part, I, I can't, I just, but like I've seen, it, I'm like, what is this? Is this supposed to mean like you're a hunter gatherer? I think it is. I think it's like caveman vibes that they want to project. Like I think so. feed me in the wild. Man, fish. That's too know. much. Okay. Speaking of fish, I want to talk about Puglia. I want to talk about parts in Italy that you have been or, have vacation to or spent time with your family in because um, I still think it's the most people look at Italy as like the most desired location for trips or for honeymoons or for whatever. And everyone's always like, there's just so many options. Like, where do we book? Like, how do we start? So if you were advising someone who wanted to visit the beautiful country of Italy, where would you have them start? What are some places and regions that you would have them check out first? For the first time ever? First time ever. Well, first time ever, you know, it, it's not it's not going to be the sexiest answer here, but I would first time ever. You've never been to Italy. Take like a tour, a Perillo tour. Like you know, I used to do culinary tours, but they were more for people who had kind of already been to Italy. I did have some first time visitors, you know, and it was so beautiful to be able to see how Italy changes them, you know, in a week. But it's insane. Yeah. If it's your first time in Italy and you don't know where you like and you want to figure it out, I would go on one of those big bus tours or they have fancier ones now, but the ones where you can really see, you know, 10 cities in 10 days or like 10 cities in 14 days or something, because that's really the best way to see everything in a very short amount of time. You're never going to plan that on your own. So like, no matter how much you think you will, you won't. Um, it's exhausting. You're moving every two days or so, but that's the only way that you're going to see so much of Italy in a short amount of time. And then you really can figure out, I like this place. I like this place. I would go back to here and there. I wouldn't go back to here. This was a way I didn't like the food here. You know, like that's really the best way for me to gauge, you know, uh, and that's what I did because, um, I went to Italy every single summer since I was seven years old. But I wasn't allowed to leave my town until I was 18. Mm. They never took me anywhere. (laughs) Like, so when I turned 18, I did a uh, tour with my graduating class. And we went like all over, I think it was uh, 10 days. And it was amazing because I'd never been to Rome or Florence or Venice or anything. Uh, And it was so cool to be able to see all that. And I never would have saw all that 
and I go to Italy all the time, you mm-hmm. know, if it wasn't for that experience. And I learned, you know, I love Florence and I don't really like Venice that much. And I don't, you know, and, and it was, it was really eye opening for me. And I think that's why I was able to start, you know, my tour company later on, because I did have that experience and I got to see how it was structured. What do you love about Puglia? That was an area that was recommended to us. We're going to go this summer for a few weeks to visit because I heard it was family friendly. It's by the water. Like, what do you love and what's some recommendations you have in that area? So I remember Puglia when nobody knew about it, like before Instagram and stuff. And I, (laughs) when I was, you know, 17, 18, I would go to Polignano Amata, which is five minutes from where I'm from in Molinari and nobody was there. Like that beautiful town with between the cliffs and stuff. Oh. It was a ghost town. Nobody was there. Um, I love that Puglia is still somewhat not tour. It's very touristy now. It has become very touristy. But I love that it's still sort of untouched. Um, it's still rustic. They're mm-hmm. learning a lot about um, about hospitality. They're not 100% yet. <laughs> um, there's still some, something left to be desired. But it's still like you're going to get the real Italy experience in Puglia versus the Amalfi Coast where it's kind of like the Disney Italy experience. That was where we went. I, it was our first trip last year. And I, I we haven't been able, I never was able to go growing up. And we started with Rome and Positano just at like, and I have never, and you're right. It was a curated experience. Like you could tell that they cater to everything like tourism. Rosella, I, I literally cried. And this isn't me like being dramatic or like when I had to leave, I, I have never felt more... Oh my God. And the food, everything was so familiar to the people felt like where I grew up and, and the energy. I, I was so much more moved by that experience than I have ever anticipated being. It was, it was insane. It was a life-changing trip. And I know that sounds like, oh, of course it was. It was like a luxury hotel, but it, the landscape and the people and the food, it's transformative. Like what is it about Italy and Italians that people all over the world love so much? You know, I've seen it happen firsthand because when when you guide culinary tours, I saw a woman come on our culinary tour who had, I, I think she had lupus or or something and she could like barely walk. She was like very heavy and stuff. She was walking with a cane when she got there. And by the end of the week, she was like walking up this like almost 90 degree angle driveway, like with no foot, like she was like with pep in her step. I've seen it really transform people it's just the air it's just like even if you're not italian not you know uh, not italian by blood or culturally or anything i've seen it just change people just the food and the water and the breeze and stuff it just galvanizes you in a way that that nothing else does like Mm -hmm. i'm when i know i'm feeling like the burnout when i'm feeling you know uh, some sort of way like the prescription and Italians are famous for these like nonsense prescriptions for things like back in the day, we used to believe like if you had like pneumonia, you needed like to spend a week at the beach so the sun could dry up the water in your lungs. Like, I feel like that works as the salt in the air too, right? Yeah. I mean, but like when you, when you have New York, like as a New Yorker, when we get burnout, the best thing is to go to Italy and to stay there for like a month and with crappy Wi-Fi because after a week, you just don't care. Mm. What, would you ever move back or are you like, not move back? I know you never technically lived there, but would you ever move there full time? No. Why? Because it's beautiful, but nothing works. Like what? Don't say this because my dream is to eventually have enough money to like buy a villa there. What doesn't work specifically? Yes, I mean, it's beautiful and you will be very happy, but, uh, uh, but like, um, you know, what doesn't work? Oh, my, I don't, in the South? In the South, nothing like you know. If you got to go to the bank, that's a two-day process. Wait, why is it the people? Is it oh like my God. Is it? It, like you got to watch Joe Avati? Is this um is this uh Italo-Australian comedian? He's from Calabria, and he does amazing skits on all this kind of stuff. Things like the post office or the bank. Like it, it's just the process. You get there, there's a line. Then by the time you're the next person in line, they close for a siesta. Then it's like, come back in four hours. Then you're back. It's five. It's supposed to open at five, maybe five fifteen. They open. 
maybe it maybe and and like it, it's just all like there's no air conditioning yeah. the in the summertime like the shops in, in my town like they close all the lights and they shut the air conditioning off and they'll only turn them on when somebody comes in the store. Stop. It'll be like, it's too hot for lights. Wait. So this is all very eye-opening. It's so like tempting to romanticize it. But like you saying, this is like giving me, is giving me pause. You have to plan for it because like in every town, like in my town. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm the only person left in America with a landline. I'm going to shut this off. It's a, it's um, a telemarketer. Oh, it would be, it's typically my mom. I'm like, mom, don't you know that I, I do this every week at the same time? It's not her. Sorry about that. Anyway, go ahead. No, like in, in my town, um, all the stores close one extra day a week. Most things are closed on Sundays, but then they'll close one extra day a week. Like on Thursdays, everything in my town is closed. So you have to food shop on now there's like one, now they're getting American. So now there's one supermarket that will stay open. Mm -hmm. they don't have all the stuff that you want you know so you got to plan you got to go to the butcher the dairy the the the, the, all the day before you got to plan different you just have to plan your life different we're so used to in america everything is available all the time Mm -hmm. you know and and in southern italy no it is not (laughs) Uh, and you know what i'm also just learning about which was really um revelatory to me in, in take, I've taken Italian lessons for three years now. I'm learning the language. I'm getting there. I'm learning. I know I've always known about my, my family's backstory and roots, but my friends are explaining to me the difference in culture between Southern Italy and Northern Italy. And all my family is from Southern Sicilia, Calabria. I mean, like even, um, Matera, like all these places that are considered in the South. And I didn't know that they looked at us Southern Italians is like country pumpkins and like, it's not favorable. And I have to say my heart was hurt a little bit, Rosella. Well, that, yeah. I mean, listen, I've been a very proud Southerner my entire life. And, um, I didn't, I wasn't fully aware, Sonny, until later in life about how Northern Italy viewed people like me. And it wasn't, um, you know, my father works for an Italian company he was a, he was an engineer, a telecommunications engineer for Telecom Italia, and he would go to Italy back and forth um, a, a few times a year. And he had business partners in Rome. And Romans are con- like on the cusp; they're like kind of southern, but they're not. Um, but I never encountered. I, I'm gonna call it like racism, um, because I don't have a better. Uh, frankly, I don't have a, a better word for it. Um, there was, there is legitimate racism in between Northern and Southern Italy, or, uh, if there's a better word, don't come for me because I, I don't know it, but what, what I experienced, uh, I think I was about in my early twenties and I went to a restaurant in Brooklyn, like, and not in sexy Brooklyn or anything. It was like Bushwick. And there was this waitress there. My friend was on the restaurant and he had hired a waitress from Bologna. And I was um, talking to her and I was telling her where my family, I was like, oh, my family, my family is from Puglia. And she goes, don't repeat that. And I'm like, oh, and, and she's like, I'm from Bologna, you know, it's in uh, the north of Italy, you know where it is? And I was like, yeah, I know where it is. Uh, I, but, you know, I have, a, I have a BA in Italian literature. I know where, I know the map, you know, I know what it looks like. Um, and, and then when I was getting older and going to Italy a lot, um, and I was, traveling outside of Puglia was when I realized that I have an accent and like I have an accent when I speak English and I have an accent a very strong Pugliese accent when I speak Italian and I didn't know that you know I really didn't understand that but it is like when you know people who live in Texas have a southern accent I have a very Mm -hmm. southern accent and I would ask them oh like do you hear my American accent when I speak Italian they're like no but we hear that that's that Puglia accent real real hard oh my god I feel like that's rude I'm like wait a minute that's that's bad and then I learned um about you know all the all the things that they call us they call us Mm -hmm. terroni so a terrona of of the land or dirt people Dirt people, yeah. Yeah, because we're farmer in the south. We're farmers, and we're in the the. It's agric. It's all agricultural business. So, um, I did, and and I would meet some friend, some people like from the north, from Milan or whatever. That I noticed that they were treating me differently, 
And I didn't understand why. And then it's like, you know, it, for me, it's such a complicated feeling because I'm an American, you know, I'm an Italian. I'm, I, I was born in America, but to Italians, I'm a Terona. Like, <laughs> I'm, a New York, I'm a fancy New Yorker, but like to these people, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't, and it, it doesn't matter how educated you are. And, you know, they just, um, they tend to view you with this provincial, mm -hmm. provincial lens. And, and they kind of think that you can't be more, you know, it's, um, it is like someone being from, you know, like a watch from Massachusetts looking mm -hmm. at you know, someone who lives in Alabama. Yeah. It's so, and it was really disappointing too, because, you know, being raised here and really clinging to the traditions that came over with my family, I, I'm so proud. I'm proud of having more culture than the rest of my white friends and having the food right. and, the, and the tradition and the family tie-ins. And there's so much beautiful, there's so many beautiful elements to Italian culture, but it was like a, it, it was a real wounding experience to find out like how my people were viewed and treated. And I knew this growing up because I remember my, my, my grandfather telling stories. It's very like, like you said, they had a date farm in, in a tiny village and, you know, and he came over and he looked different than everyone here. And I remember hearing stories. I was like, ah, oh, you know, it sounded bad, but like, who cares? But then you hear that and you're like, ah, oh, it's like kind of disappointing. It really tarnishes the way that I was viewing my family's legacy, but I, you can't let it get, get to you, I no, guess. Listen, it's, it's actually, it's not the easiest thing to be an Italian American today. Um, I actually doing what I do. I encounter a lot of um, just nastiness from Italians who live in Italy, who have a problem with me as an Italian American. Like why the food I don't, I make isn't Italian. Isn't real Italian. It's not Italian enough. I'm not Italian enough. Like it's like, they'll see videos of me making fresh pasta with no, you don't know how to cook. You don't know how to speak. It I'll speak Italian, but I don't know how to speak Italian. It's it's, you'll never be Italian enough for them. And the, what I, the, the reason I think is because Italians who came here in, uh, in, in the last wave of immigration in the seventies and eighties really preserved the values of that time. And in the past 40, 50 years, Italy has changed exponentially, especially Southern Italy, which was, you're talking about a very Catholic country that is now rejects any kinds of tradition, any kind of, um, traditional gender roles and stuff. They're very, it's a very woke country now. So wow, I didn't know that. So things have changed on the cultural front in Italy too. Absolutely. I mean like, and they tend to view Italian Americans North or South. They kind of just lump us all together. We're Amer like Italian Americans and they just view us as these like, you know, country bumpkin, even if you're from Milan, but there, there are so many more Southern Italian Americans here than anything. Mm -hmm. um, they just view us as these people who are uh, obsessed with, you know, the the way the old Italy and stuff, and they don't take us very seriously. And it's just what what upsets me about it, culinary wise, is that I could make like if you take me and an Italian blogger and make us both make the same thing, and we'll both make some like like schivats, like uh, lasagna with uh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. They love cream cheese over there now. What? Love it there. We'll both make this horrifying lasagna with cream cheese in it. And they'll say the Italian blogger is like innovative and amazing and I'm a disgrace and should be like shot. That's I, awful. It, it's just, it is what it is. It ain't easy. But, you know, I don't stop doing what I'm doing for anyone. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't, uh, I, I just keep it all moving. Well, listen, and and for someone like me, seeing someone like you on, on your platform and sort of helping to shed light on these beautiful traditions and recipes that a lot of us in this country grew up with, I'm grateful. And I, I have sympathy for you. Like, you know, you say kind of straddle the cultures between American and Italian. I think just like 
other cultures, when people are from two different places or their parents are from two different places, that you like sort of unifying those two cultures is beautiful because you're the type of person who, as an American, I'm going to relate to more and understand more. It's going to help bridge that gap for me to, you know, connect with my roots or whatever. I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I'm sorry that you get a little flack for it, but you know, you can't make an Italian person happy, I guess. It's interesting that you say that. Yeah. I mean, my, my best friend, Pat, on the Italian American podcast, always mm-hmm. says, how do you unite a people who can't agree on a meatball recipe? <laughs> Why will never be united. But like, as far as me doing what I do and how I do it, you know, it, it is, it has been a journey, you know, uh, for me to even exist the way I do now, because I didn't used to, I'm a lot. I'm, I'm probably a little bit extra, uh, even as an Italian, I mean, the nail, the, but I wasn't always this way. Like when I started cooking with Nona back in 2009, I didn't know what I was doing. It was the dawn of content creation. Uh, if you were cooking on, on, on TV or YouTube, barely anybody was on YouTube at that time. If you were, mm-hmm. you were a restaurant chef or a professional chef. And if you were on TV, forget about it. They didn't look like me. You mm-hmm. know, not look like me. They didn't sound like me. So I made an effort then to change and I changed the way I talked and I changed the way I dressed and I changed a lot of my mannerisms because I wanted to assimilate. And what an interesting story. It's like I was brought up to be, you know, this Italian American. My family never really assimilated if you meet us. And now, you know, when I'm 22 years old, I'm trying desperately to look like and sound like somebody on Food Network. And I, I, I hid my voice for a long time. I talked like this. I can talk like this if I really want to. Isn't it great? I, I have... That's like your newscaster voice. Yeah, I can do it. it no <laughs> problem at all. But, you know, I really talk like this. So um, agents and managers told me nobody was going to watch the Marissa Tomei cooking show. And I, I, I made my nails really short and pink and I wore sweaters and, and you know, just shit that I didn't like. And, and I, cause I was just trying to fit in. And then one day it was, you know, I, I just decided I'm just going to be who exactly who the hell I am. Mm-hmm. Sounds like what I sound like and with a nail polish I like, and you know, people are either going to, to relate to me or it'll be a disaster and I have to do something else. But Luckily, I think, and I get a lot of flack even for the way that I speak. They're like, you say friggin' and you say this and you say that. And I'm like, okay, I'm still a smart person. I, you know, I'm still a published author. Like they, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. No, you can, you can be who you are and still like not take yourself seriously, but be a serious person. Yeah. The world has a problem with that with women. I, I, I think the same thing. Like I talk about all this superficial stuff all the time and also some very heavy, serious things on my podcast. And, and the, the desire for people to reduce women to stereotypes is so strong that the moment you shift back into something frivolous or they're like, what an airhead or like, what an idiot or like, what do you know? And you're like, it's, it's impossible to exist and make everyone happy. So Kudos to you for, you have to lean into who you are. You can't spend your whole life hiding what you, you like. And, and I, for, there were, there is probably a generation of, I, I know that there is because they write to me of, of young women, maybe who grew up the way I did or that have an accent or, and that feel like they're represented a mm-hmm. little bit because, you know, there, there, there are girls from my neighborhood who never got to had the opportunities that I did. Mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate in my life because I had very supportive parents who never told me once to be realistic about anything. If I had a, a stupid dream, they made it bigger and stupider for me. That's awesome. It was It's great. But a lot of girls who probably had the same desires that I did had parents that said, no, you have to go get a city job and you have mm-hmm. to, have, and you have to get married young. And 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 all that. So I, I'm proud to to be out there for them to say, you know, you can you can sound like this and have a place in in our in our culture and in society. And you could still don't let it stop you. Don't be ashamed and and be exactly as extra as you want to be and and still create. I love it. I love it. Before we let you go, I really want to just spend a couple of minutes running through some of your favorites as far as recipes and food go. If you guys check out cookingwithnona.com, she has a ton of recipes listed there, but you also do really fun videos on Instagram. Um, give us like your top three pasta dishes that if people were going to go either, you know, even just eat or try to make, what are they? Um, I think you should always master basic things first. So a basic 
tomato and basil sauce Mm-hmm. is like is life and there's no reason to open a jar it's really just you know oil garlic tomatoes salt basil that's it a little bit of water don't put anything else in there or else i'm going to show up at your house it doesn't <laughs> it just doesn't leave it alone leave things alone um my top pasta dish is probably like an amatriciana because it's actually it's easier than people think it is. I think they hear the name and they get like intimidated right away, but it's really just sauteing like the guanciale or pancetta, if you can't find it, with the tomato and uh, and and that's it. And and cheese at the end. It couldn't be easier. Mm-hmm. It's hard to mess up. I think uh, a good a good uh like pasta forno is essential. A good like big ziti or something. Mm-hmm is always good because that's like you can make it the day before and then the beauty of chicken cutlets chicken cutlets are like a simple but god i saw your video on that too (laughs) it's like the all-purpose food in the field like like you said with your sandwich at school you know it's get slapped on some bread the next day it's they're heated up for lunch they're good hot they're good cold they're good the next day like they're really you can make a head you can meal prep Love it. Do you do you salt your water and oil your pasta water every time never, or no? You never oil the pasta water. Never oil. See, there's such a debate in my family about this. My mom does. And I was like, I just feel like it wouldn't boil right. Like, why don't we and why do we? No, you, you, well, you don't. I don't know what, I, I've never met your mother. I'm sure she's very nice, but you, you just don't do it because what's going to happen is like, it is that it's going to coat the pasta and then it's going to be very hard for, for it to absorb to adhere to the pasta. I want to go back and, and tell her that. And one of my biggest pet peeves in Italian cooking is that you should always finish a pasta in the sauce. You should never cook pasta, put it on a plate and put sauce on top. Oh, no, no, no. You got to You got to like intermingle it. You got to marry it all up. But if no, you no, try no. to marry it and then there's this like greasy, you know, stuff on it, there's oil on it. It's not going to get married. Wait, do you, um, <laughs> I'm like keeping this going forever. I promise this is my last couple of questions. We have this thing in my family and I was told it was a Southern Italian thing. We call it medique, but it was like old bread, like b- stale bread, right? What do you call it? And when, uh, olive oil, hot pepper seed, and you sprinkle it on your pasta. And my dad would say, it's because we never let any food go to waste. And in the old country, they would just use it as a topping. Do you do that too? Beautiful. So that is a prime. The mudica is uh, a dialectual uh, term for molika. So molika in Italian is the the crumbs of is breadcrumbs. So um, in Sicilian cooking, they use mudica, molika, and it's fried breadcrumbs. You know, doctored up with you. You want to put some. Uh, you want to put some red hot pepper. pepper. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, they, they do it a lot. They do it a lot for St. Joseph's Day, which is coming up, um, which is like a pasta with, with sardines and anchovies and fennel. And then they top it with uh, this, with the malika, with the fried breadcrumbs, which is meant to represent the sawdust of St. Joseph. So it's also meant to replace cheese because you're not supposed to put mm-hmm. cheese on a dish like that. But I've met, you know, in Italian America, it's like it's a put we we're, we're extra right so we put cheese in our fake cheese I've seen <laughs> it done like in Italian America yeah we do stuff like that um and I love it I mean I it it's particularly good on spaghetti and garlic and oil mm-hmm. beautiful a lot of people eat that on Christmas Eve um and in my in body we have a different Saint Joseph pasta which is just a pasta with anchovies and the fried breadcrumb on top. Oh my God. You know, you just validated like decades of my existence because we were the only family that did this. And I was like, dad, is this like a real thing? He's like, I swear it came from my grandparents. Blah, blah, blah. But oh, like to even hear the etymology of the word, this is just, oh, it's yeah, so cool. It's, it's a very Sicilian thing. Yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. You know, the people of the earth, Rosella, what can we say? We got the good stuff in the South. We do. The best stuff. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I wish I could talk to you forever. I feel so seen and I feel like you have added so much value to this conversation between the recipe talk and the talk about your beautiful culture. So tell us again, where we can find you both online and on social so people can keep in touch. So I'm at Rosella Rago on Instagram, two S's, two L's. I know there was never a keychain at Disney World with my name on it. Same girl. Uh, and I am, uh, Rosella's cooking with Nona on Facebook. We have a great Facebook presence with over 700,000 followers now. 
which is amazing. Um, all the recipes are on cookingwithnonas.com. And if you want to shop, if you want to get some gold hoops or a sweatsuit, go to bottegadelanona.com. I know it's a horrible name, but it comes from my great-grandmother's Bottega in Italy. So. Oh, so cool. Love everything you're doing. And I'm so, so grateful for your time. Wish you nothing but the best, Rosella. Grazie. So much fun. Thank you for having me. And guys, thank you for watching and or listening. We had such a fun live crowd during the um, videotaping here. So thanks, guys, for all of your comments. It looks like we have a lot of like fans of Italy in the comment section. So thank you for hanging out with us if you did that. If not, if you're listening to this podcast um, when it comes out, please take a minute, leave a rating and review. That actually makes a huge difference in getting these shows out. And that's it. We'll see you next week on We Gotta Talk With More Good Stuff. Thanks, guys. See you soon.